Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the new and improved Round the Modern Campfire podcast. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Before we get into the stories for tonight, I'd like to quickly plug my Patreon. If you would like to help out by becoming a patron, I now have three tiers going. Night Owls at $2, Firekeeper at $5, and Librarian at $8. Please keep in mind this is in US currency. This just keeps the podcast running smoothly and lets me keep producing more content for everyone. And, obviously, there are rewards for all the tiers, like choosing the stories for the next episode, guest narrating if you would be interested in doing so, and having your name listed off at the beginning or end of the episode. You can find this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. I am also pleased to announce this podcast now has a coffee account, so for those who don't want to commit to regular donations via Patreon, feel free to consider throwing a few dollars my way if you've liked this podcast. The link will be in the description. Lastly, there is also the Round the Modern Campfire Facebook page, where you can get in contact with me, leave suggestions for stories, keep updated on the progress of this podcast, take part in deciding how the podcast works, or just generally chat. I'd love it if you popped in and said hi. Please also keep in mind if you like any of the stories from this episode, they are linked in the description so you can show these amazing authors the love they deserve. Anyway, with all that said and done, grab yourself a warm drink, a nice snack, and let's delve into the stories for tonight. Missing Persons Investigation Helena Lever Interview 6-11-2019 Records start. This is Officer Robert Ford conducting an interview with Helena Laver as part of the investigation of the disappearance of Rita Vellis. Both are employed at the motel in Texas. On the night of June 9th, Rita was reported missing under unusual circumstances. We have audio evidence we will be going over during the interview, which includes a series of recordings from the hotel's housekeeping comm system. Helena, please state your full legal name for the record. N- now? Yes, please. I... I am Helena Lucia Laver. And you are participating in this interview of your free will, correct? Yes. I just want to know what... what happened to Rita... And your counsel has explained that any evidence discovered can and will be used, if relevant, to make a prosecution in this case. He did. Okay, walk me through the night of the 9th. I don't... really know where to start. It was also... just start at the beginning of the night. Well, that night wasn't the beginning. Not really. The hotel has always been... strange. Strange how? Just... There are noises. Guests come down to the lobby at odd hours claiming they got lost. Things will... Lost? Yes, sir. Lost. Like they sometimes can't find their room and guest services has to walk them up. I've been to that hotel. It has a pretty straightforward layout. I know, but it's not just guests. I know people that have been cleaning at that hotel for years and have still come down hours late from their shift. They just talk about how they got turned around and changed the subject. Okay. Tell me about the comm system you guys have. It seems, well, pretty elaborate for a cleaning crew at a 15-floor hotel. It's not just housekeeping. Everyone is tied in. Room service, guest services, the valet, management, maintenance, everyone uses the comms. 
Still, it's... I've never seen a hotel comm system that keeps logs like this. Multiple channels, tape backups. Has that always... Has that just always been in place? No. They set it up. I don't know, three years ago? It was after a girl I knew got accused of stealing. She skipped out in the middle of her shift when word got out, and I guess management wanted some kind of... I don't know. Accountability? It's always recording, even when you aren't talking on one of their channels. Always recording? Yeah, always. There's a button you can turn it off if you need to pee or something, but it's timed. Okay, yikes. Changing tracks, the accusation. It can't be that uncommon. No, I suppose it isn't. But I know she wouldn't steal. None of us would. What was her name, for curiosity's sake? Uh, it's been three years. I know her first name was Candace. Her last name... I don't know. You'd have to ask the hotel. Okay, so it sounds like pretty normal hotel stuff so far. Other than maybe some people with a bad sense of direction? Well, management doesn't like us to talk about it, but... There have been other things. Okay. It's just... I don't really care how management feels about you talking. We have a missing... No, no, it's not that. Well, it's... Well, okay. One night the power went out. For like five hours. We were fully booked, but we didn't get a single call from guests about it. Were the phones affected? No, we tested them out. Just no one seemed to care. Maybe they all slept through it? Maybe. We've also had a lot of guests leave without checking out. Is that a problem for the hotel? I don't think so. They have cards on file, but every time the room is left perfectly clean. Like, no one ever stayed there. I mean, even down to the little toilet paper folds. Hmm. Hmm. Do you think I could get a few of those guests' names? You'd have to ask management. Okay, back on topic. The hotel is weird, but what happened on the 9th? Did you... listen? To the recordings? Yeah, but out of context? I understand. Rita and I usually clean together. Not in the same room, but on the same floor. The ninth was no different. We usually clean floors 12, 14, and 15. You skip 13? There is no 13. Some kind of superstition thing. A lot of big buildings are like that. Okay, so your shift starts. You start with the 12th floor. 12 was pretty normal. It was when we got off at 14 that it got... I have the audio queued up, I think, right then. Walk me through it. Oh, why are the lights out? Uh, Maintenance. We have lights out on 14. This is John. I'm on 14. Lights are on. Did we go up to 15? No, 15 has the big elevator lobby. John, where are you on 14? Right by the elevators. What car are you in? Um, three? Three is showing on... Huh. Huh what? It doesn't show a floor. It should say right outside the door what floor you're on. It's pretty dark. The plaque with the number is literally right outside the door. There is no plaque, John. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Get back in the elevator and... Oh no, John, the elevator light went out. I don't think it's going to move. Well, I don't know. The stairs are pretty close. Okay, come on, Rita. Rita? Helena, where'd you go? 
I didn't move. I'm right. Okay. So this is where you got split up. We were both still in the elevator. Well, yes, you were both still in elevators, but which one of you moved to a different car? We didn't. Neither of us. <sighs> okay. Let's just... Let's just start it back up. So you're in different elevators now. But we... Just... Let's move on. Here, in the elevator. Where did you go? No. No, I'm in the... It's dark, Helena. Okay. Rita? Rita? I can't hear you shouting. I mean, except on the radio. Helena, I'm getting a little freaked out. Okay. John, what's going on? John? Where did he go? Helena, what are we... Rita. Rita, calm down. It's okay. It's like John said. You know where the stairs are. Just make your way to them. I'll meet you there. Okay, I'll, I'll try. It's just so dark. I know. Okay, I'm at the stairs. What the... Oh, shit! So, what happened there? The stairway door opened up into a... Just a normal guest room. You opened a guest room? No, it was the stairs. There was enough light that I could see the sign. It was a clearly marked stairway door. Okay, but you said... Yes, it opened up to a guest room. It freaked me out. That was quite a reaction for seeing a room. Well, there was... You can say it. There was a body. Whoa, 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 whoa. No one mentioned a body. What was... Let me finish. I thought I saw a body. A man hanging in the middle of the room. But he... It started to spin around. Its eyes... Uh... This is why I didn't tell anyone. This reaction, right here. <sighs> Alright, well, let's just get back to it. Okay. Oh, shit. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's quite a reaction. He... It dropped to the floor. The hanging body with the eyes. It wasn't just the eyes. It was locked onto me. It looked... It's hard to explain. Hungry? I'm just gonna... Please. Helena, what happened? I heard you, but you sounded far away. Rita, don't go to the stairs. Uh, all the doors are marked as stairs. What? That can't... Oh, God. There... Wait, all of the doors? Yes. Every door on the hall was marked as a stairway. Should we try to... No, do not open them. So what happened there? I... I don't know. A... I don't know. Force blew through the hallway and all the doors slammed open. All of them? Yes, all of them. And something started walking out. Something... Yeah, more of those hungry things. So you started running. Rita, we need to get out of here. Can you hear my voice? I found the stairs. There's light. Okay, I'm coming.
Okay, so again, the floors in this hotel are only like 50 or so yards. Even dark, you should have been able to see her, especially if she found light. There was nothing. I'm going to fast forward a bit. This is mostly just you running. Ah, here. Yeah, I run way further than I should have been able to. Okay, okay, just explain this. Okay, I'm safe. I'm headed down to the lobby. Can you still hear me, Helena? Yeah, yeah. Thank God you're okay. The stairs. Is that you? Is what me? Someone just entered the stairs. Just get down to the lobby quick as you can. So, let me guess, the stairway door closed? Yes, right in my face. Uh-huh. No, no, no. What? Rita, are you... Elevator? Yes, the elevator opened. I didn't want to get on it, but... Go on, it's okay. More of those hungry things. They started pouring out of the rooms. I got in the elevator because I didn't have a better choice. Okay. No, 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 no. Close, close, close. (laughs) So, you got away? Yeah, but they were right there. As the door was closing in the dark hallway, it was... It was all eyes. Okay, well, the next section is the last relevant part of the tapes. Okay, okay, I'm back in the lobby. Where are you, Rita? (laughs) Rita, come on, where are you? I'm with them. With who? Rita, you're scaring me. It's okay, it's okay. They say they'll... Bring me to you soon. No! Rita, you have to get away from them. Rita! Rita! And after that, no more Rita? No. Well, based on whatever this is, I don't think you'll be considered a suspect. But I wouldn't rule out a thorough investigation of your hotel. Fuck the hotel! You heard what she said, right? They're going to bring her to me. Yeah, but... I haven't been back to work since. I can't go in there. But I've started to hear things. At home. At night, around the same time Rita vanished. What kind of things? I don't... It's... A kind of smacking sound. Like lips smacking. Footsteps in my home. Uh... You heard it, right? You have to protect me. Alright, alright, hold on. I'll talk to the chief, see what we can do. Please, I can't sleep, I'm... You're obviously shaken up, I get it. Your friend was... I don't give a shit about fucking Rita, I need protection. Something is coming after me. Uh, alright. Um, okay, for now, interview over, right? Are we good? For the record, Helena Lever is nodding. I will follow up with leadership about a protection detail, and... I don't know. The interview tape ends there. Ford made good on his promise and a protection detail was provided for Ms. Laver. Officers Blake and Travis were assigned. The following was taken from their comms that night. 
Hey, Trav, you seeing anything around back? Nah, super quiet. Did you listen to the tapes? From... Hotel? Nah, you? Yeah, it was pretty weird. <laughs> what the... F Trav? Wasn't me. Okay, this is an official police ban. Don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Trav, move to the backup channel. Trav, you on? Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> you know they snuck in, right? What the fuck? They look pretty hungry tonight. Travis, get on my way. What are you seeing? Trav? Trav? Hello? Switching to primary channel. Travis, you there? Travis? Helena? Hello? Shit. This is Officer Hubble to dispatch. Dispatch, go ahead. I've lost comms with Officer Langston. Have you heard from him? Uh, no, not since you guys left, um, uh, 12 hours ago? 12? What time is- Oh, Jesus. Uh, send back up to... Blake. Oh, thank Christ. Where the fuck are you? Where's Helena? <laughs> We're fine. We'll see you soon. What the- What? Travis? Officer Langston and Helena Laver were missing from the scene. There was no sign of a struggle in the home. Their whereabouts, along with those of Rita Vellis, remain unknown. As I stood on the far side of the kitchen island and watched my husband lovingly cook breakfast, I knew I would have to kill him. Because that man wasn't my husband at all. He was an imposter. The real Daniel wasn't around anymore. I didn't know where he was exactly, but I knew it wasn't here. Daniel found a hidden door in our house, and it led him into a maze he never came back from. Instead, I got this pale imitation. A fraud. A fake. An imposter. For me, the hidden door didn't lead to a maze at all. Just to an empty closet. But if I was going to get Daniel back, I needed to find my way in. And the smirking son of a bitch standing in my kitchen was going to tell me how. Are you hungry? He asked. Famished, I said, my voice as dead and lifeless as I wished he was. Can I ask you something? He said, nudging the crisping bacon around in the pan with a spatula. Even the way he cooked was wrong, somehow. There was none of Daniel's skill. Everything was a little clumsy. Not enough that anyone else would notice, but I did. Sure. This is awkward, but... He paused, turning away from me to get a couple of plates from the cupboard. We haven't made love in a week. Yeah, because I'm not going to cheat on my husband with an imposter, you piece of shit. M made love? <laughs> I forced a laugh. Since when have you called it that? I'm serious, he said earnestly, putting the plates down on the counter. His eyes met mine. So am I, I held his gaze. I've never heard you say, made love before. Since when did you start saying that? You've been asking me a lot of weird questions lately, the imposter said. He took two slices of bread and put them in the toaster. You mean like asking where your phone is? I told you, I must have dropped it when I was in the woods, he said, 
making a facial expression I'd never seen Daniel make before. It was an expression that screamed, I'm innocent, I'm an angel, I've done nothing wrong. I wanted to wipe it clean off his face. I believe you, sweetie, I said, placating him with a sickly sweet tilt of my head. I had never called Daniel sweetie in my life. He would have noticed that. He would have heard the sarcasm. He wouldn't have said, Good, I just want to start making things right between us. The toaster sprang up with the freshly toasted slices of bread, and Daniel turned to take them out. While his back was to me, I made my way around the kitchen island. As I reached for the handle of the frying pan, a logical voice in my head screamed at me to reconsider what I was doing. Call the police, it told me. Call a friend. Or tell your family. Don't do this. But my mind was already made up. My gut instinct had told me that the imposter wasn't Daniel, and I'd been right about that. Now it was telling me that nobody else could help me, that I needed to do this on my own. My hand grasped the handle of the cast iron frying pan and I lifted it. It scraped on the cooker top and the imposter turned towards me, his brow furrowing when he saw the look of rage and determination on my face. Babe? He said innocently. I hesitated, my step faltering, afraid I was making a huge mistake. The imposter screamed and lunged at me and I sprang to action. My swing would have come up too short, so I hurled the scalding bacon fat into his face. It splashed across his cheeks and nose and his scream of rage turned to one of pain, his skin turning immediately red. He pressed his hands to his face and I quickly closed the distance between us, putting all of my strength behind swinging the frying pan at his head. Just before I hit him, he pulled his hands away from his face and I could swear I saw his skull moving beneath his skin like it was splitting apart and stretching Daniel's features. The frying pan hit him with a dull bang and he crumpled to the floor, his head ricocheting off of the kitchen counter on the way down with a sickening crack. By the time he was down, his face was back to normal again, though the grease burn looked like it was going to start blistering. Watching as dark blood pulled around the imposter's head, I dropped the frying pan and it hit the ground with a thud. I hurried into the dining room, where we kept the scarce furniture we had while we were still in the process of remodeling the house. Daniel had tied our dining room chairs together in pairs with lengths of rope so that they had been easier to move. I untied one of the pairs and ran back to the kitchen with the rope, planning on tying up the imposter so I could question him. He was gone. I heard his footsteps shuffling somewhere on the upstairs hallway, so I grabbed the biggest knife I could find and took it with me. I hurtled up the stairs, letting the adrenaline conquer my fear. I slowed when I reached the upstairs hallway moving on the balls of my feet and listening for any sounds. I could hear the imposter grunting in pain nearby. Jesse, he said my name, and for once, he sounded like the real Daniel. It was so convincing that I nearly stepped out from my hiding spot. I'm hurt real bad, he groaned. I felt tears running down my face, but I gritted my teeth together and stayed put. There's something wrong with you, he sobbed. You're not well. We need to get you to a doctor. I found the phone, I said. I was met with silence for a long moment. What phone? he asked, still sounding emotional but cautious. Daniel's phone, you son of a bitch, I spat. Honey, I lost my phone in the woods, he said. I heard fumbling and dragging sounds. No, you didn't. It's in the bedroom right now. Go and see for yourself. There's nothing there. His voice was labored now, but the tone had changed. He was sounding less and less like the man he was pretending to be. 
You're going crazy. I finally steeled myself enough to turn the corner, brandishing the kitchen knife in front of me. The imposter was gone, but the hidden door was wide open. Instead of a small closet, a yawning passage greeted me. It was narrow and dark, stretching on seemingly forever. I'm coming, Daniel, I thought, as I stepped into the darkness. The passage was much colder than the rest of the house, and the dimensions were impossible. There should have been no way for the passage to even exist. After a few feet, I would have been outside the house, floating somewhere over the garden. Instead, I was plunging further and further into darkness. I kept checking over my shoulder to make sure that the doorway back to the house was still open, inching my way deeper and deeper into enemy territory. I pulled out my phone and turned on the flashlight to help guide me. The imposter had left smears of blood on the walls. I was glad that I must have done some pretty serious damage to his head with the frying pan. He might even succumb to his injuries without me needing to use the knife still clutched in my hand at all. As long as I kept going in the same direction, I was sure to find my Daniel eventually, right? At that moment, my stomach lurched indescribably, and I felt a sudden turn. When I looked back over my shoulder, the doorway toward the house was gone. Instead, there was a T-shaped junction. When I looked ahead, again, the passage was no longer a straight line, but curved around to the right and out of sight. Working my way onward, it didn't take me long to realize that I wasn't in a simple passage anymore. This was a maze. I found myself making snap decisions, taking turns based on gut instinct, as I wound my way through a labyrinthine hellscape of bleak grey passage after bleak grey passage. After what felt like hours and hours of wandering, I needed to stop and rest. I sunk down onto the floor and checked my phone battery. 50%. Great. I was hungry and thirsty already, and it made me wonder about Daniel. He would have been trapped in here for over a week without any food or water. I knew that a person could survive weeks without food if they needed to, but water? He would have died of thirst days ago. I had to drive the thought out of my mind and push myself back onto my feet. I started walking again. I took more turns and passed a flight of stairs that seemingly led into an even darker level of whatever world this was. I eventually turned a corner to see a shape lying on the ground. At first I thought it might be Daniel and I hurried over to help, but I stopped when I realised it was the imposter. The wound in his head was almost black with blood that had started to coagulate on his scalp, which meant that the bleeding must have slowed or stopped. His eyes were partially open, but looked heavy-lidded. Are you still alive? I asked. For a moment, there was no reaction. After a few long seconds, his glazed-over gaze shifted and he met my eyes. Barely, he said. His voice was nothing like Daniel's anymore. It sounded barely human. It was ragged and torn, like a single voice that was being split into several different cacophonic parts. Where is he? Up ahead. His face shifted, as if his skull had cracked into puzzle pieces that were moving beneath the skin. What are you? I'm Daniel, he said, somehow managing to shrug innocently from his place on the ground. He made a wet gurgling sound and his eyes lost focus as he died. By the time he was gone, his face was a jumble of jagged shapes and stretched skin. One of his eyes remained an imitation of Daniel's brown eyes, but the other had turned grey. I hurried onward, following the curve of a snaking path that wound around to a cross-shaped junction. There was a man propped up against one of the corners, 
his face pale and his lips cracked and dry. Daniel. I ran to him, collapsing onto my knees in front of him and sobbing. He didn't look like the man I remembered, but I knew it was the real Daniel. I could feel it. He was either dead or on the verge of death. Daniel, look at me, I said, lifting his head with my hands and tilting his face towards mine. I kissed his lips and cried, Open your eyes, it's me. Jesse? His voice was dry and crackled like a fire. You're back? I'm here, I nodded, and I'm going to take you home. Do you have more water? he asked. No, I said. I managed to sling his arm over my shoulders and hauled him to his feet. He was almost like dead weight against me, but I could feel him doing his best to keep himself upright. But I'm getting you out of here. It took even longer to try and backtrack, and even then I wasn't sure just how much the labyrinth was shifting and changing around me. Eventually, my phone battery dropped to 10% and I steered the beam of flashlight away from the passage ahead while I dismissed the notification on the screen. When I lifted the phone back up, I caught sight of something dashing around a corner further up in the passage. I froze, fear trickling through me. Was the imposter still alive? Was there more than one of them? My senses came crashing back to me, and I realized that it was irrelevant either way. I just needed to get Daniel out of there. Instead of continuing towards the movement I'd seen, I turned the next corner and started in a different direction instead. I heard something shuffling behind us, but I couldn't turn around to see what it was. Between holding the knife for protection, my phone for light, and trying to keep Daniel upright, I could barely keep going in a straight line. With a lot of effort, I managed to round one final corner and mercifully saw the light from our hallway. We were almost home. Something came close enough to breathe on my neck and I screamed, hurtling myself forward. As we reached the doorway back into the house, something grabbed my arm and tugged me backwards. I let go of Daniel and pushed him forwards, watching as he stumbled out of the passage and collapsed onto the floor in our home. At least, if I didn't make it back, he might still survive. But I wasn't done fighting yet. I spun around towards the thing with its grip on my arm and slashed with the kitchen knife. My phone clattered to the floor and the battery died, plunging the passage into a deep, near-pitch blackness. I could see the vague shape of the thing that had grabbed me, lurking just outside the reach of my knife. I'm leaving, I said, taking a cautious step backwards and inching closer to the doorway. Safety was so close, but I had no idea how dangerous it might be to try and flee now. I'm leaving, the thing said. My blood turned cold. That was my voice. It took a few slow steps towards me, the light from the hallway behind me illuminating its face, just enough that I could see it was me. I was looking back at my own face. What do you want? I want my husband back, said the me looking back at me. He's mine. I'm not talking about him, it said, nodding its head in Daniel's direction. You're too late, I said. I killed him. Liar, it snarled, its face animalistic. Go back in there and see for yourself, I said, but you're not taking my place. My imposter lunged at me, screaming a sound I hope I never hear again in my life. I slashed at it, slicing its face and watching as the skin split and the flesh and bone underneath started to writhe. It grabbed my neck and shoved me against the wall, so much stronger than I was. I twisted and raised my knife-wielding hand, bringing the blade down into the thing's neck. It screeched another inhuman sound and backed away, clutching at the knife in its neck as it staggered back into the darkness. I sprinted out of the passage. 
slamming the door behind me and collapsing on the floor in tears. Daniel made a full recovery. It wasn't easy going, but he was soon back on his feet. We didn't involve the authorities because I wasn't sure what I could tell them. How would I explain Daniel's state and the blood that was still pooled on the kitchen floor? Daniel and I both agreed it would be better to deal with it ourselves, and his health has improved a lot over the past couple of months since this all started. We still don't know what to do with the house. We have no choice but to sleep here, but we bolt our bedroom door closed and sleep in shifts. The door to the hidden passage hasn't opened since, and we've nailed it shut. But sometimes I think I hear knocking or scratching coming from the other side. We can either sell the house and inflict this horror on some other poor souls, or burn the place down ourselves and hope that we get away with an insurance fraud. I'm inclined to try the latter. I'd love nothing more than to see this place reduced to a pile of smouldering ash. I stick by Daniel's side now, worried that something might happen to him. I doubt I'll be able to fully relax until this place is far behind us. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to get over what happened. For his part, I can see that Daniel is traumatised. Sometimes he stares off into space, or his hands start shaking, or he spontaneously starts to cry. He seems out of character, but I keep telling myself it's just the nightmare he lived through. Even so, sometimes I find myself staring at him and I'm unable to shake this one persisting thought that keeps coming back to me. This man is not my husband.'